0: I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. <laughs> <laughs>
1: type 40 a doctor who podcast from the space for the fandom podcast network with me dan Hartley, birmingham's king of the geeks your designated driver and mouth runner ready to deliver doctor who content and conversation once again on our free speaking big thinking eclectic show for everyone whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero doctor who we talk about it all on this show there may even be be a few laughs along the way so come and step into our tardis and share this journey together here with us on type 40 and we've got some serious art appreciation going on God, that sounds almost sounds a bit late show doesn't it <laughs> but uh, joining me for another wonder through the tardis gallery of course it is it's my mate simon
0: well hello there yeah it, it all does almost sound like show doesn't it we kind of need joan bakewell just off off uh, off camera uh, to do some introductions can you imagine what <laughs>
1: she'd make a make <laughs> our <of a, make laughs> shenanigans
0: a thing. you and i have both worked uh, on and off uh, well on and off for me more on for you in the uh, graphic art and design <laughs> And um, we've both done it. And so we're both massive fans of the whole sort of, you know, the graphic design world. And and also because I worked in did uh, many years working as as a fanzine editor, um, again, looking yeah. for artists. And interestingly, the guy that we're about to bring on had, had uh, at least a small influence on me becoming a fanzine editor, as I'll explain a little bit later on. So uh, really? art is, yeah, art's very close to my heart. Doctor Who art in particular is very close to my heart
1: this show finds a way of chiming with whatever sort of artistic inclinations each of us have i think whichever media we want to explore that in and i think that our guest on this show is a typical example of that but somebody who absolutely has gone gone beyond the fourth and the fifth dimensions and his work is absolutely everywhere if you are somebody who's collected doctor who merchandise over the years either you were there at the time or you've picked it up since the odds are you'll you'll certainly have lots of this guy's work in your collection so i hope that he's uh, he's primed stretched fed and watered as we bring on yeah the uh he calls himself forget this the last of the traditional cover artists simon that's very romantic quite I heroic isn't it
0: i think it's probably reasonably close to the truth as well i don't think anybody could actually argue with him on that one to be honest
1: only one way to find out. Let's bring on Colin Howard.
0: Greetings, Hello, Colin. Guys,
1: how are you? Who came up with that then? The last of the traditional cover artists.
2: That that was weirdly me. I was trying to sort of uh, explain what had been going on, basically, with art at the time because it was a big quantum leap away from all the traditional old stuff that I grew up with as a kid, and um, I guess most of you guys did as well. Uh, where you were solely at the um, the reliance of what one particular person would create off a blank piece of um, card or canvas or artboard, whatever they were using, um, and it suddenly all just dissipated away and became photo montage. Fun, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Um
2: so yeah, I was—I guess I
0: was the last of the actual painters. Do you mourn? Do you mourn the passing of those days of, of of real art? Physical art, maybe, is a fairer word.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of guess that I do, simply because there's nothing sort of as lovely for me as um, holding a piece of artwork that graced the cover of something. That's an original one-off. It doesn't exist anywhere else, you know, it's not on a um, a microchip or a drive saved somewhere, you know, it, it's a physical piece of medium that you can uh, hold up and admire and sit on your wall and look out for years.
1: Something tactile, Colin, and something intimate.
2: Yeah, not just a collection of uh, pixels. I mean, I do a bit of that as well, but uh, that's in this day and age.
0: When we uh, interviewed the the sadly late and very, very great Chris Achilleos a couple of years ago, one of the things that he said, he obviously also talked about mourning uh, the passing of physical art as opposed to digital art. And as he said, in, in the physical world, there is no undo button. And certainly for me personally, I'm not an enormous fan of digital art. It, it's the physical medium where you can see, as you say, the, literally the physical contact with that medium yeah, and the love and care and attention that's gone into creating something that actually exists. I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone else, I guess, of, of doing
2: that kind of stuff. Um, with the work on the animations, even putting together the cover for for this beast here, this (laughs) subtle...
0: Is that uh, your new book by any chance, Colin? This could perhaps be the
2: (laughs) (laughs) work of Colin Howard. Whoever that guy is. Um, And yeah, I mean, for that cover, um, it was originally... Ah, the 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 end doctor. Doctor from Virgin Books that I did in the 90s. And um, I was racking my brains to try and think of what to put on the cover um, and to make it look like, you know, something that I might have produced back then. So I thought, I know, I'll just tinker about with this one because the gift of it was the fact that it was um, a a piece of, like, old um, cine film, whatever, floating there out in the ether. And I thought, well, I'll just take each frame and put one of my monsters from one of my paintings into it and uh, had to morph it and bend it around onto perspective, distort things slightly, to get it to sort of look fluid and part of that reel of celluloid. To create
1: create possibly the most Colin Howard piece of artwork of them all, I think.
0: You are just such a prolific Doctor Who artist and for example, I mean, I've got the nth Doctor in my book collection and I had no idea Until you just mentioned it, that it was you that did the cover, and this is the truth. I think you are you above all Doctor Who artists are the one. Whereas Dan said right at the top of the show, everybody who's collected Doctor Who at some point in their life will have something by Colin Howard in their collection, but probably without even realising it, because you've oh, done you've done so much stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm just not fussy, am I?
0: <laughs> you take any old gig.
2: Yeah, do anything for anything for anyone. Yeah. I think i mention it in the book as well because there's a load of verbal from this thing i just basically loved the show so much that right from a small child I was always drawing and creating doctor who related things be it um the weetabix stand-up cards of like the 70s um i mean i've still got those in the tobacco tin uh yeah. sort of um uh the antimatter zeta minor yeah uh, planet of evil tin they're quite
1: tiny aren't they these these little cards as we're sat now for the for the people who are watching the video track and we can see we can see right behind you There's some of your greatest hits and for example (laughs) i've got that dalek calendar that you that you did in the 90s again i didn't just forget that you did that i forgot that i owned it i've got that upstairs that sat on my desk for a long long time
2: that one was um the 2000 Desk calendar. Uh, there was a TARDIS as well, the same size. Um, thank you, Slow Dazzle, for never returning my original artwork from um,
1: Slow Dazzle, that's the name, yeah.
2: Yeah, so somewhere out there is um, a, a TARDIS and a Dalek, um, oh. both of which are kind of like A3 in height. Uh, and that's the, um, the Peter Cushing movie, uh, the Dalek Invasion. Of
1: course, of, of course it is. Well, although although Slow Dazzle haven't been in touch, plenty of people have, haven't they? With the release of this book, Time Slides, it includes... Would you call it testimonials tributes from just some of your many admirers in the world in the who universe out there john freeman former editor of doctor who magazine and current editor of of, uh official star trek magazine and of down the Mm. tubes he talks about your work in this book so does the writer rob shearman we've got gary russell contributing content the brilliant Mm. graphic designer lee binding Margaret Hope, who was with children's uh, BBC Children's Books. Nick Abadzis, who is a writer with the Doctor Who comics. I think that was your Titan. Martin Garati, we'll all know Martin's work from Doctor Who magazine, sequential comic book art. Our mate, Neil Cole, he's in there as well, Simon. Lee Sullivan too, legendary Doctor Who comic strip artist. Plus Pete McTie, the guy behind all those brilliant uh, shorts that we get on the Doctor Who Blu-ray collection. That's just a fraction. Of your fans. You've got two more here. Lots more, I'm certainly going to be listening and watching along with us as we get into our conversation. That's all coming up in a moment. But if you'd like to do some real time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present, and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice, only if you know where to look. There's well over a hundred reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs, and deep dives with all our regulars and some pretty awesome guests. In fact we know there's something for every fan at type 40podbeamcom more about that a little later and we'll be making contact just for a couple of minutes with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the fandom podcast network for a word about all the other cult conversations going on across all the other podcasts over there so much to get into that's all the sort semi-sensible stuff done now colin you could be pleased to know we're going to take in this slideshow aren't we this time slideshow courtesy of colin howard and all his artwork all those years all those memories yeah as uh, as much as we often get misty-eyed about pretty much any element of doctor who on tv the music all that quotable dialogue the ideas the themes that it introduces us to and and plays with within that uh, infamously flexible format that we boast about as doctor who fans it's a tv show and the visuals are the most important part they're the bits that stick with us the most that fill our dreams or our nightmares they scare us scar us and inspire us and uh, many of us are moved to recapture those moments, aren't they? Just as, as we were discussing a moment ago, recaptured the uh, the sights of the Doctor Who universe and interpret them or reinterpret them in lots of artistic ways. And it has been a driving factor behind many of us pursuing the careers that we do. And that's certainly been the case with our guest this time, Colin Howard. And you've got a style that I believe that none of us could confuse with, with anybody else's. and. <laughs> It's natural though, isn't it, that with uh, this mountain of work that you've produced over the years, that you've earned this family of fans, haven't you? People love your work.
2: God bless them for that. Uh, you were saying earlier about the, uh, the list of uh, wonderful uh, contributions I had from people. Um, it, this book should have been sponsored by like Kleenex or something, because the amount of um, kind of sobbing almost I was reduced to reading these things. Um, because I always just thought of myself as a, like you know, just a, a jobbing artist. After the um, the cover stuff sort of stopped with the advent of computer-generated art, I had to just walk away from all sort of Doctor Who-related stuff uh, because it was just too painful to keep seeing it.
1: There was a, a famous singer-songwriter who once said that life is what happens whilst you're making other plans and i think that the Mm. same can be said of of legacy too when you're building up a a body of work you're going from job to job in something which is a commercial sector isn't it your your Mm. artwork you know you're you're a fine artist but your artwork has been put on commercial product hasn't it which to a great many people out there apart from doctor who fans (laughs) commercial product is largely disposable realm isn't it but that's not how the doctor who universe views these things not at all is it
2: no, it uh, becomes sort of cupboard fodder. It's wonderful um, because it, it, you just kind of don't think that stuff you do is going to last or be remembered. Uh, and certainly not you as an artist yourself. You really have trouble accepting the fact that um, somebody might really admire and love the stuff that you've done and keep it for all this length of time. Um, you, you just don't feel sort of worthy of it all. Um, Well, I I don't anyway, it's just the way I am, I guess. But um, no, it it was just, um, say, incredible some of the things that people were saying about me. And um, I sort of count myself incredibly blessed, actually, because I'm, as far as I'm aware, the only um, Doctor Who related artist that's actually um, had an introduction for their Doctor Who art book by a doctor. Which, which one's is, this
1: for the people who don't know
2: uh this will be old 60 brilliant old, old namesake uh, colin baker who um <laughs> i first met years and years ago in norwich when he was in a play um corpse at the theater royal oh, yeah. and, um, i remember day, i remember yeah. i
0: went to see corpse in, with colin baker in birmingham i remember it very well
2: yeah and a load of us sort of norwich local group people we'd raised some money for. Cop death, which uh, was a yeah. uh, Colin, a massive patron of for uh, many years after his unfortunate loss, and um, we met him there, and I sort of, we presented him with the cheque, and then being me, I sort of showed him some of my art, and um, he seemed to like it, and um, ended up writing me uh, a kind of like a testimonial letter, sort of um, to prospective publishers to go, look, I've seen this guy's stuff, give him a go. Um,
0: oh, wow! Which, so that is that how you got your lucky break, through Colin?
2: That was one of the main reasons, yeah, I think Wow. So. Um, also, i would obviously created a portfolio body of work that I could take around and show uh, prospective uh, graphic designers and managers. And um, yeah, so it was great to sort of pitch for Doctor Who stuff with a letter from a recent doctor. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was quite, a, quite a lovely thing of him to do. this is why
1: this is why it's so right that colin baker is the the president of the doctor appreciation society i've heard several stories of colin doing things like this and his relationship with the fandom It, it never ceases to surprise me but yeah time slides it's finally published i've been reading about this book now for it seems like about a year and a half colin it's available from candy jar books it's this huge retrospective celebration of your work with all these tributes to from these uh, admirers of yours. How does it feel to have it finally out there? So it's uh, waiting under Christmas trees and <laughs> <laughs> it's in the post to several people, probably hundreds, thousands of people by now. It must feel great knowing that people are finally going to get to see it.
2: Yeah, it was quite a long time in the, um, the planning. I first agreed to do this book um, around the time that we'd uh, finished work on the macro and somebody asked me at the uh, BFI screening and um, I said look I've, I've agreed to do this and there will be a portfolio of my work. Um, how long it took to then come out was um, quite a surprise. I mean the pandemic uh, had a, quite a lot to do with it and uh, the funny thing here is the, um, the image you keep showing is the original cover that I did Um, But I had to change everything yet again for the actual book because I realised that most of, if not all, of these creatures on the cover weren't actually in the book. (laughs) So it's kind of like an unintentional misrepresentation of content. Um, So I had to rejig it totally and change all the creatures in those film cells uh, yet again. Um,
0: so just to make work for myself, you know. But, and why, and what, why is that? Is that simply because you just couldn't fit the entire body of work in there?
2: Yeah, essentially. I mean, um, I initially, when we were first planning it, this was going to be a massive volume um, featuring pretty much everything I'd done. Um, but unfortunately, with a, a page count limitation, there just wasn't room so we opted to concentrate on my um 33 doctor who stories that were the vhs yeah uh, which came down to 32 because of Frontiosity the awakening being a single release and um yeah it, that was the main body of work and content of the book was uh, my vhs years so um yeah
0: and that, that's, that's,
2: that's everything
0: and that, of course, is where people are most likely to know your work from, is from the uh, is from the, the, the VHS covers. Yeah, so you,
2: if you can see these guys, these are all uh, from the VHS covers, including, I mean, we've got Terry Malloy's Davros there at the top. Um, that was never actually released as a uh, VHS cover because um, Rev- Resurrection? No, Revelation of the Daleks was pulled uh, because of, issues with clearance for, I think, the uh, the audios that the DJ was playing all the way through. Yeah. yeah. And i um, I <laughs> just finished that painting and was about to post it off because um, Michelle and I were about to go on a delayed honeymoon um, because I was so busy working. Um, we booked and got uh, Hoover Flights. I don't know if you guys are all, can remember back then. <laughs> oh,
0: Hoover Flights. I do yeah, remember
2: yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we, we bought a vacuum cleaner when yes! we got married for the house. And I uh, thought, brilliant, we'll, we'll take a, like this free holiday and go and see our friend Bev in New York, who um, helped treat uh, my mother when she was uh, uh, having treatment for breast cancer. And uh, we stayed in touch with her since like the, the mid-80s, 90s. We, we still see Bev regularly. And um, yeah, this was our delayed honeymoon. And um, we were about to go away, and um, I had four days before we were going to go down to get the flight. And um, they said, well, Revelation isn't being released now. Um, We need Inferno. (laughs) So I then had to quickly do a sketch for the cover of the Inferno VHS. Take Take it away, get it faxed. For crying out loud if anybody remembers facts
1: I remember using faxes and having to send artwork to get to get approved via fax as well.
2: Yep, that's the bunny as well, yep. And that I ended up getting approval for the uh, the pencil and had to paint that in three and a half days. Wow. And then get it packaged up and posted off um so it was a bit of a, a massive massive rush to to do that particular cover so
1: <laughs> and all with the template in mind as well because this is what people don't always realize out there you've got to consider mm-hmm. where the logos don't go haven't you barcodes any uh, any elements of text the in, in the case of the doctor who releases there it's starring mm-hmm. whichever doctor yep. with a little triangle or circle with the with the certificate on all that's going to be it's got to be very easily seen, isn't it, from people who could be could be browsing it.
2: Oh god, yeah. I mean, the the whole design aspect of it with these, it was a for me, it was an ongoing nightmare. Um, because, <laughs> uh design was so different back then. You'd, you'd map everything out and carefully plot the positioning of absolutely everything and plan your cover based around that layout and. Um, the BBC would then send the pho- uh, the artwork off to be photographed and um, they would then be supplied with the image to use. And it was whoever did all the um, the cropping and messing about uh, would always change my layout and concentrate on one particular area of a picture that I wasn't going to. And the I had so much cropped out and lost of my originals. So that's the really wonderful thing about time slides is that I'm able to include the full artwork. All that was designed and plotted out to take everything into account. But um, if it had been this day and age, it's great because you can work to the image size that you're giving. Um, so I can plot everything out myself and supply the full final artwork just straight for print. Um, but it was this <laughs> third-party company. I don't know who the hell it was, but they were ridiculous. Um, the five doctors was absolutely butchered by them. Um, half of Cyberman from the like the waist down is missing um, and chopped out, and it just ruins the composition. I mean, luckily they still all pretty much worked, but. Uh, they weren't as I'd intended them to look. You tell some of well, these things,
1: yeah. They uh, do. They book bears for several years, aren't they? Bones of contention.
0: And it's and it's interesting because you the, the composition that you tend to work with on on certainly on the VHS covers, it's very very classic composition in style, isn't it? It reminds me very much of of um, sort of the film posters of artists like Drew Struzan. It's that kind of classic composition uh, mm. of a montage put together beautifully assembled with it with us with, with you know with a with a, a, a your, in your mind's eye you know how it's going to look it's they're always beautifully balanced in some form um and I say it reminds me very much of sort of Drew Struzan's kind of compositional style um if not artistic style um which is one of the reasons why i love your your stuff so much because it does remind me of those great film posters when film posters were great Do you think you were influenced, did you take sort of influence from sort of film posters, artwork?
2: I mean I was a very um, deeply fantasy, sci-fi kind of image ready guy and I used to, especially Christos's work, I would always sort of just drink his amazing designs in and um, you emulate things that you see and you love And you try and put your own spin on them and your own techniques. And um, that's what I used to do. I mean, that piece you're showing currently was a recent-ish commission that was a reimagining of The Five Doctors. Um, And uh, got to play around there with a lot of detail and the the great tower of Rassilon and uh, the exploded Dalek, in case you're wondering what that is above that Cyberman. But yeah all those effects are all painted on meticulously by hand and um yeah it took absolute weeks and weeks to do that one it's um, not
1: surprising to me that you mention chris sakaleos as a as mm. a major influence yeah, obviously chris passed away a year ago we had him as a guest on the show we were very privileged to interview chris at length and he mm. talked about about movies about ray harryhausen movies and classic literature and all those kinds of influences on him, and obviously Chris, he was very closely identified with a very particular line of Doctor Who merchandise, wasn't he? You know, even though he only worked on it for about three or four years, he's seen as the the gold standard, the big representation. And I think that what he did in his artwork, there, I think he was a storyteller, in a sense. He would bring in extra elements and and reframe the a situation from a television story and and add extra color as you said simon liking it likening it to a a movie poster which is if it was through a prism of something else uh, same kind of quality you get on a comic book cover and i feel that of all the doctor who artists out there colin and this is no slight on on any of them you know i'm a graphic designer myself there are some people interpret these stories in a very graphical way others in a very sort of photo uh, uh, photorealistic way and all of those ways are viable but you and and your artwork i see it very much along the lines of okay here it is imagine that story that you saw on television but imagine if you were looking at the same events through this lens instead or from that point of view or or this particular angle to bring a very particular kind of drama to it and to tell a slightly different version of the same story
2: Yeah, and to make it look so much more um, effect heavy and uh, fun, I guess, than perhaps it was on screen. Um, I mean, I got to indulge my love of aviation and aircraft with uh, that, again, unused VHS cover for for time flight. And um, that uh, using the same sort of technique that I did with the five doctors um, to blend out and um, to concentrate on a particular color palette and uh, have that as, uh, as a bit of a, a visual feast and then it just makes other things pop but you just want to create this fantastic rich vibrant alien looking landscape which takes you back to i guess the imagination side and reading the stories as kids um as you say as christos uh, mentioned with things like uh, those old grey harry house movies and the Sinbad films, and I, you know, they were such a big influence on me as a kid. Okay. And that's why I loved Christos's work so much it. because I would buy every portfolio he did when it came out and um, would just go through them constantly, looking at how he puts things together and uh, the way he can um, design and expand on ideas. And um, I guess it's something I tried to do with uh, Dr. Who um and some of the stories i mean some were incredibly difficult to try and come up with an idea for how to make the cover look punchy and vibrant and uh, might catch attention and get well, some well, this is stop. it it's got
1: to get people at people's attention yeah. they're gonna stop there in in the shop or mm. if they're wavering about whether to buy it or not or they think oh yeah. i want to get a doctor who video for for my for my sister's kid i know i know he loves doctor Who. which one shall i get you know it, it's every manner it's commercial art isn't it so it's got to sell people and this is the one you need to buy this is the story to capture your imagination you know if you like a scary one if you like a spacey one if you like a costume costume drama one you've got to sort of chime in with that and i and you you are absolutely as identified and as identifiable with this line of merchandise with the vhs range as chris was with the target books i feel
2: yeah, possibly. And it's such a um, forgotten range of artwork now. I mean, you so, so much is sort of... Makes you th- um, what makes you think that? Well, I guess probably because I was um, kind of out in the ether after all the work stopped going into the 2000s. And um, you just felt as though you were consigned to the skip. Because you suddenly weren't getting work anymore. Um, I had to teach myself to do digital artwork. Um, a friend lent me a computer and uh, showed me the uh, the rudiments of how to to do digital art by sticking some glasses on a a picture of a manard, uh, a little duck with these uh, clumsy lenses on, and. Um, That's something that I struggled with and trying to work out how to use and um, ended up adopting technique with layers, which was very much like some of the old classic Walt Disney movies, where everything would be on a transparency, a background, then middle ground stuff with characters, then foreground things coming up. And uh, yeah, so I, I taught myself in the same way that I mostly taught myself to paint traditionally. So it was just like relearning everything again.
1: A whole it, new learning curve. Yeah. I,
0: think, I think one of the things that, that, that sort of strikes me most about your, your artwork, um, certain physical artwork is, it's all without exception, very detailed, very dense and very dramatic. And what I mean by that is, uh, it, 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 the detail is incredible. When you, one of my favourite pieces is the um, is the Sea Devils, um, the one with the Master and and um, the Doctor as well. The, the the detail and the and the attention to detail and the accuracy of the detail is literally breathtaking in it. Um, the dense. When I say dense, I mean there isn't an inch. Or even a centimetre of of the of the canvas that isn't utilised to to the to the best degree. You're not you're not wasteful over any of the space. It's not a case of oh well, I'll just leave that space a bit dead and I'll just I'll just put a bit of a wash of colour over that. No, it, you've thought about everything um, and every inch, as I say, has got something happening in it and dramatic because. Again, without exception, they're all very, very dramatic pieces. Certainly, that time flight, the unused time flight, which was just of a minute ago. It's a very, very dramatic piece. Mm-hmm. How consciously did you create your style, or is it completely and utterly just how it flowed? Is it just is it just inherent in you? Was it was it a sort of conscious decision to think on those lines, or is that is that just your your intrinsic style? Do you think?
2: Yes, I think it's just what would come out when faced with a, a blank piece of card or canvas you, you just try and think how can I make this look as amazingly dynamic as possible I mean especially with airbrushing something else i taught myself to do um, you can create such contrast with colours and make them blend together so smoothly and well and um, that was just something that that i loved to do and then would try and punch with it as much as possible to make as much impact with a with an image you know i mean that one you kind of can just like dive into it yeah the, the depth of detail that i put in i mean that barcode there on the graham williams merchandise special banner totally slap bang over that Led claw hanging out of the casing <laughs> but i i just wanted to get that into it because it was an element of the uh, the program we've not seen a, a dalek claw like that before and i thought yeah i want to try and get him in there and did uh, you yeah.
0: did you did you have you ever at any point during any of these pieces of, of artwork that you've done which as i say are incredibly detailed were there any points where you kind of thought oh um, I really wish I hadn't decided to do all those bricks at the bottom of that particular (laughs) picture because I've now got to paint each one individually have you ever kind of thought ah you know uh, are you your own worst enemy in many ways
2: extraordinarily so um again you've got all those spheres the Dalek balls yeah Um, that was kind of a swear word for me for a while Dalek balls um, just because of the fact each one had to be so meticulously done to try and make it look round and then get the light hitting it from the correct yeah. perspective. Um, the, the Probably the most ridiculously stupid thing I did was, as you said, with the sea devils. Mm-hmm. Um, because of those incredible string vests that they yeah. wore. Uh, <laughs> was... I, don't, I don't know why I did that to myself. Because I always work in sort of like, I start with middle ground colors, um, middling colors, and then add depth of shadow to that, and then go up lighter and lighter and lighter, uh, almost to pure white. And um, you think those sea devil vests, for crying out loud, they've all got to be sort of equidistant neck spacing. And then each vest has got about seven gradients of color change going through it. So I'm constantly going over and over that and picking more and more bits out. And then, of course, yeah, I've got three sea devils on that cover for crying out loud and numpty. And um, yeah,
0: so <laughs> it's almost
2: it, enemy to a degree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's that sort of photorealistic style that you are. If you were to go for a graphic style, obviously mm. you can be a lot more bold and a lot more a lot more general with your washes of colour, for example. Whereas mm. because of the style you're going for, it's much more specific. I really do want to talk about this little book because this is where I first came across your work, and I and I've I mentioned this to you previously. That this is one of my favourite pieces of artwork by you because, if we turn to page 148, we get what this, I thought was a, just a breathtaking piece of art. So this,
1: this book came out in 1984, didn't it? It was written it did, by Peter did, Haining, it and it's called the key, the key to Time.
0: And it had lots, th- throughout this book, you've got loads and loads of artwork by various fans. They invited fans to contribute yeah, to artwork to, to this book. So you've got loads and loads of different, different drawings in here. And there was one, there was only one that really, really stood out for me and, and literally knocked my socks off. And it was, as I say, this one, uh, which is uh, this beautiful rendering of uh, the Santorin experiment. And I just remember as a child in 1984, when I got this book, I just remember absolutely you know, obsessing over the detail in this artwork. Firstly, I just love, and I love the story to begin with, I love the, the Santoran experiment. And so to find this piece of artwork with, with such detail in it, it was just incredible. And I can still remember sitting there at home looking you at this piece and clocking the name, clocking the name just down, where is it? Right there at the bottom. If you can just about make it out. Have we got it on? Where is it? Uh, oh it. There, it, is, it. Is, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I still remember clocking the name Colin Howard and thinking, wow, that guy is an artist of some talent. I was just blown away by it because it's beautiful. Uh, it's still. Blocks, knocks my but it tells,
1: it retells that moment in that story, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. And again, it's it's what I was just talking about. It's so epic. It's so detailed. It's so dramatic. There's so much in it. You could so easily have just gone with the one picture, as, as so many people do, of, of Stire, um or, or or whatever. But you didn't. You go for, you go for so much detail in that one picture. And as you say, Dan, you tell the story. And I just I, I can remember it to this day, just thinking, wow. He's an and, artist and stands then, out, and here you are—you—you you, you did it. You did it. Yeah, yeah. And
2: I don't think Stire ever dangled uh, the Doctor over a cliff either, did he? You know. Exactly. It's just messing about and creating sort of ideas that you might have in your head. You know, that—that that was almost going a bit deadly assassin inside the Matrix battle mm-hmm. um, with with something that never happened. And if you look on there as well, I think I actually put the date that I drew it.
0: Whoa, I'm going to try and find that. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) I've never spotted that. Let me see. Yeah, it's there. I've just found it. It was painted, get this, on the 27th of December, 1983. I've never even noticed that before. I'm sure you won't manage to make this out, but I'm going to give it a go. Just under
1: 39 years ago.
0: Just right there. There it is, right at the bottom under the Doctor's yes. Feet. Colin Howard, 27th of December, 1983. What made you... Was this the only piece of artwork that you that you volunteered to the Key to Time?
2: No, there's at least another two in there. Oh, is there? Yeah, there's a, an Ice Warriors one with a sonic cannon. There's a Sea Devil and Silurian with... Um, Man behaving as brilliantly, looking after the planet as we're carrying on in our amazing style there of uh, kicking the, the Jesus out of the earth. Uh, yeah, like a just indolent, disgusting ape.
0: Yep, there is, yeah. there's, the, there's, the, uh, there's the Silurian yeah. one, the sea devil. Yep, and the Silurian's
2: kind of like shrugging his shoulders, going, What on earth are these monkeys doing to our
0: planet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, it's so a beautiful piece of work again.
1: So it's not just the case of the Doctor Who stories that, that the artwork's linked to. Each of your pieces of artwork does come with its own story of, of its... Itself, doesn't it of how it came to to get on the front of the books or the or the vhs or wherever else we may have seen it on the calendars or, or tucked away in in magazines and, and fanzines and this book this time slides book is an ideal opportunity for you to give us a sort of running commentary too isn't it you've supplemented all of this work with original draft sketches and your stories in your own words haven't you as, as you've scrambled back through your through your portfolio, about these different choices that you were made or maybe choices that were uh, put upon you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that Carnival of Monsters one, the image you're showing there, is the the foxing that I had to remove on all of these because these images were just photocopies that I kept of the original pencil and each one was so badly damaged with foxing that I had to go in digitally and uh, clean it all up removing all this sort of brownish, sludgy distortion on it to just leave the the clear black and white image below. And, um, I mean, that one, for example, the the John Pertwee reference on there is not the Pertwee reference I wanted to use for that picture at all. I'd selected one of him looking outwards towards the spine of the VHS, which was a still from uh, Day of the Daleks, where Pertwee's looking like a sunlit hero you know and I wanted that symmetry with the design but I was like no you have been looking straight ahead so I had to just change it so that one's from um, I think uh, yeah the same story from Day of the Daleks where he and Joe are on the, the motor cycle the, the tri
0: so it's, yeah, it's another did, reference from that. Did you, did you kind of have any run-ins with, with publishers or, or designers where, where you actually argued the toss? Because, I, I, again, going back to Chris Akileos, of course, his most famous one was the argument over keeping Clack on the cover of The Invasion <laughs> of the Dinosaurs. Did you ever have any, any kind of arguments like that that you really felt so passionately, no, I'm arguing for this, whether you won the arguments or not? <laughs> or did you um, just give in and roll over and say, yeah, well, I'll do whatever, I don't care, like... Can't be bothered. You know,
2: I, I think that Carnival of Monsters one was really pretty much
0: the only one I ever
2: had to change. Um, everything else was kind of accepted and gone with. Um, thank God, because when you end up changing an image to um, to incorporate other people's ideas and designs, yeah. it gets really watered down and uh, you lose that original sort of dynamism and impact. Um, almost uh, a real ponzi here and go, the vision of the creative design and all this. Um, so I was quite lucky with the fact that, no, pretty much everything that I did was accepted and didn't have to be changed. Um, the only exception being that little one, oh, sorry, wrong side, there, uh, The Power of the Daleks DVD yep. cover. Yeah. Uh, that was quite a, a hard... Hard mission to, to come up with the design because it was the first one of the animations that was produced. And at the time, they were only going to be in black and white. And that was going to be like a film noir animation with mm. loads of levels of gray shading on all the characters. And um, I was told at the very last minute, after being instructed only to use black through to pure white no color influence at all, that all of a sudden it was going to be also a BBC America color version. Um, And so to add color to the cover. Now, this had taken me a a few weeks to produce, and it was so heavily detailed. And I even did these kind of like Tim Burton-esque wisps of smoke coming up around the bases of the Daleks, uh, just to add a bit of character into it and a, a bit of individuality. And um, in the end, I ended up having to uh, add blue um, with the Dalek rays and uh, the, the spheres on the Daleks. Dalek balls again. There you go. And um, yeah, so it, it ended up being a diluted version of just the pure black and white it was originally always going to be. Um, so that that was a no, real nothing shocking.
1: like some changing goalposts to keep an artist on it, on their exactly, toes, yeah. is it?
2: You know, I think I also had to do about six different designs for that particular cover as well, because uh, they just weren't happy with um, anything that um, I originally uh, came up with. I think they wanted a particular individual stamp. And um, it ended up being the only one I was asked to do, um, but still set the template for all the others that followed, which is quite strange. Um, But they went with solely a a closer to camera, larger doctor from the flat, kind of 2D animation look uh, with some other sort of stuff around. I think the Steelbooks got a bit more creative um, and they were rather nice. But um, at that stage I'd again changed hats and um, become sort of part of the animation team. Yeah, I hadn't realized
1: that you were as deeply involved in these animations as you are. So can you explain what your role has been on those productions?
2: Yeah, as you say, it started with just being asked to do the cover. I'd done an interview with Charles Norton uh, a few years previously for Doctor Who magazine. And um, he, I think, liked my work back with the VHSs and asked if I'd come back and sort of revisit and do a cover for the first of these um, new animations. Um, it then got to, I think, the weekend before the whole thing was going to go off to be um, stamped and released. Uh, well, printed, uh, whatever, cast to digital media. And um, they realised they had no TARDIS um, exterior for the arrival or the leaving in episodes one and six. And he said, oh, God, could you perhaps do a TARDIS? And I went, yeah, sure. So I sat there on a Saturday morning and started painting in photoshop this sort of like grey layered TARDIS which ended up then being included in the animations and because i was able to sort of create that quickly and to a a massive level of detail um, he then asked if i might consider returning um, with working on SHADA and um, that was all digital work from me um, all the the Cambridge Lane cycling stuff all the shops I put tons and tons of in jokes uh in there which I think the glass put out um, on one of their publications as well to show all the detail of stuff I did like Bell Bakery and loads of really bad on like, Romana's Flower Shop and things like this and um, I think the the toy shop that I did um, had tons and tons of Doctor Who uh, things in the window from the Yeti through to uh, the clockwork soldiers and all this kind of stuff.
1: It uh, appeals to that playful sense of humour that you've got, doesn't it, to do things like that?
2: Well, you know, it, it's uh, making a rod for your own back in some ways. Um, because with Sharda as well, we had this scene where uh, the fourth Doctor comes through this sort of corridor uh, between tardises to drop him back in his um, his old place. And he drops down into the um, the TARDIS um, workshop. And um, they thought it'd be a nice idea to have these shelving units with a few bits and pieces of stuff for him to go through and peruse. And um, I ended up putting tons and tons of uh, homage Easter eggs back to previous oh. stories and even a couple from future stories that hadn't oh,
1: oh, some people really don't like that, Colin.
2: I know, but I've... A it's picture. a tougher sell, mate. It's Tough a tougher sell. It's you know. Um, yeah, you know, I put, like, a communicator from the two doctors on tar and, uh, worn on the belt on one of the shelves and also links us, uh just to sort of, like, mess about. Uh-huh. And uh, croton arms and weapons and a Cyberman head and stuff like that. So, so yeah. obvious,
1: obviously working on those projects, that's very much part of a team of people, though, isn't it? So how do you find that compared to working working on your own? Because that's, you know, generally speaking, that's what artists do, isn't it? We work in very, in a very sort of solitary way.
2: Yeah, we just sit in the cupboards um, <laughs> doing stuff.
1: I was thinking though but working with the slotting into a team of people like that and and having your your end of the deal to hold up and that and the deadlines obviously to to meet they never change how different was was all of that to working with with Sean at candy jar On time slides because obviously they've been putting together putting out publishing this line of um, specialist interest Doctor Who titles haven't they lavish celebrations and collections of other artists work too along with a legacy of other titles there they've got a really nice niche collection of books going and it seems to be a well-oiled machine how did Colin Howard drop into all that
2: I was casting around trying to think, what can I do to get back and do some Doctor Who stuff? Coincidentally, on via Facebook, Andy Mallon, who was a, a writer and I think a producer working very closely with Sean on Candy Job, um, asked me if I'd consider coming and doing The Beast of Fang Rock. Um, that was like a heart back to sort of a dearly loved period of Doctor Who of mine. And so it was like, oh, yeah, love to, you know? And so that ended up being something that I did that was in a very painterly kind of style, but a fully digital piece. So there is no like original hard copy of that knocking about. Um, it is just a, a digital piece of artwork. Um, but I like to sort of work in a style that looks very much like my regular work. And uh, it's something that I've sort of tinkered about with for many years because I, I said about um, those dark days at the post uh, the VHS covers and learning to do things on computer. I ended up going off and just working as a, um, a jobbing illustrator for uh, two or three art agencies over the years, um, doing anything that came my way, really. You know, and I was just pining to get back and do some. Sort of doctor who related stuff because so you are a
1: very accomplished all-round illustrator it has to be said it's it's not all string vests and bumps i mean your your animal artwork i think is absolutely absolutely beautiful really uh, full of character
2: yeah I, I, i'm a, a severe lover of nature and uh, birds and animals i mean um, there's a, a section in the book where we talk about um my wife's birthday, for Michelle's birthday, we went off and worked on a cheetah conservation project in South Africa. Um, So that was getting up incredibly early in the morning with uh, going out on really long walks, like seven kilometers or so, with uh, cheetahs that were hand-reared. And it was trying to get them back to being able to hunt. And uh, we'd be going out with these um, big putty cats because they'd come up to you purring. I mean, to have a, a big cat come up to you purring around and wanting its tummy rubbed, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. It was like you know, I've dropped into some kind of bizarre film here, you know, but um, we then have to chase through the brush and try and keep an eye on where they've gone and brought the kill down. And uh, then we would have to try and wrestle the kill away from them and uh, carry it back about another sort of three kilometers or so back to base. Because if they sat there with the kill, they'd just gorge and get stuffed and then wouldn't want to move for about three or four hours. Bit tricky.
0: It's not just Doctor Who as a genre piece that you've only done loads of other genre stuff as well Alien, Blake 7, Babylon 5, Quantum Leap, some brilliant stuff for Hellraiser, Star Wars. You know, you've done them all, haven't you? Let's be honest, you have done them all.
2: Well, I've, I've painted all of them. I mean, some of those were just um, pieces that I did for myself. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with the, the mention of Star Wars, I had to um, do a couple of pieces um, to be approved, and they're sort of in storage somewhere at uh, Skywalker Ranch because they like to uh, keep hold of um, you know what these people have done for them. And yeah. I did a collector's plate for the Phantom Menace. Um, that was a. a I remember that yeah a critique that came back that was um darth maul's left pupil or so could it be moved slightly about three quarters <laughs> you know or, or a millimeter or so to the left uh, so to then have to meticulously work on this tiny little pupil and just change it like there have been some odd requests but uh, yeah that was that was probably one of the proudest was to be approved Uh, by Lucasfilm. Um,
1: If there's one franchise that I associate you with almost as much as Doctor Who, it's probably Red Dwarf, Colin. You seem to do a lot of Red Dwarf artwork back in the 90s. There's nothing more 90s than Red Dwarf, come to think of it, is there?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, probably not. Um, That was the lovely John Freeman, my first editor at Doctor Who magazine. Uh, When things were starting to get a bit ropey for traditional artwork, he mentioned about uh, Fleetway publications had started to do a, or were planning to do, a Red Dwarfs magazine. And um, I ended up producing about seven covers for them from issue two onwards. Uh, it ran for about two and a half, three years.
1: Yeah, I and, bought them all.
2: Yeah, there was a little bit of tinkering around. I mean, that <laughs> one for issue three, I think, with them all looking at this blanket of table. It, there was a beware cadmium three radiation leak badge on that desk where they're all looking. So I had to move all their pupils to be looking down at this particular area, which is why some of the expressions don't look quite right because it's not as you can remember the reference. So, uh, so yeah, that was a bizarre fun one. And um, I started to do the odd Red Wolf fan club event. And it was while there that Danny John Jules, who plays The Cat, came through and uh, saw me in the merchandise area and was looking through my portfolio. And um, he was planning this single for Tongue Tide, which was a novelty song from about season two or three of Red Dwarf. Sorry for yeah. not knowing the precise episode, etc. Yeah, you're right. It seems to. Yeah. And um so it was like could you could you do a like a cover for me for that. And I was like, yeah, delighted to. So that ended up being for EMI Records. And uh, that was about the third design of them. I did a few variations where um, Kit uh, Kat's love interest was like sat on the back of a kneeling Dwayne Dibley and stuff like that. So um, yeah, that, that was all totally created from scratch, just the odd photo reference for... The, um, the Dwayne Dibney face and um, then to distort cat one and have that tongue coming out with the, the hearts floating away away off uh, it's just sort of mess about silly stuff but yeah I really enjoyed red Dwarf as a, as a youngster when it started and uh, yeah. yeah I've stayed up to date with them um the more recent one on Dave the last one was absolutely brilliant and yeah, the promised um, land yep yeah, that was that was really good and I I go to the uh, the fan club conventions, Dimension jumps, uh, when they asked me along. And uh, yeah, it's lovely to produce a new piece of art for them. Although now I think it's all going to have to be just digital uh, because my painting now, unfortunately with my MS, is kind of giving me a little bit too much to be able to do anymore. Um, a painting that would have taken me, say, like, Inferno in three days. And um, then it became more like two weeks and um, the last one i did i think took me four and a half months to actually finish so it's no longer financially viable you know i'd have to charge the absolute if not the earth venus as well you know for a piece and it's just too expensive
0: and is is this purely because of the ms that 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 causes you problems what with your hands or or with your is it your eyesight that, that 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 is problematic
2: Uh, You might notice and watch back, my hands shake a bit now, which they never really used to. But it started in my feet and got both my legs uh, to the extent where my balance is atrocious. So people just think I've been all-nighter at the pub at like uh, 7 in the morning because my walking is so atrocious and I fall over quite a lot now. Um, And um, yeah, it's, it's now spread to my hands and typically... Being right handed, my right hand and forearm are worst affected. Right. And, um, I've been dropping airbrushes and they land needle down and it bends them and splits the nozzles. So it makes them sort of irreparable. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just the ability to sort of hold something to the level of dexterity required for the kind of paintings that I love to do. Um, it's just. Too much now. Uh, so that's me messing about with my Wacom tablet that I bought uh, to work on Evil of the Daleks. It's a, a new large one that um, makes things a bit easier for me. Um, but the Wacom pens are so much easier for me to hold because they're rubberized and uh, yeah. I can sort of hold them fairly well. And the fact that it's digital means that if I shake a bit, I can then change and uh, erase mistake that i just created and uh, go again so
1: your attitude know. and adaptability it's inspiring you, you seem to be a, a man who's no stranger to learning curves throughout your life
2: yeah yeah i'd, I'd kind of go along with that but it's one of those things isn't it you you're faced with something delightful like that you can either sit in the corner and wallow in self-pity and make everybody think oh, "God, i don't want to spend any time with that miserable song you know, just make everyone around you unhappy as well. So what, what's the point in that? You know, that's no life. That's no fun. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just do what you can and to the best ability that you can. You're, you know?
0: you're, you're, you're clearly a glass half full kind of person as opposed to a glass half empty kind of person. Certainly the impression I get from sort of watching you on, on social media is that you, you haven't, although the multiple sclerosis must have affected your life, you haven't let it... Affect it more than it would anyway. You, as you say, you haven't, you don't appear on the surface to be, have become a slave to it or let it to sort of dominate your life in any way.
2: Well, no, yeah, um, it, it's either that or I'm able to escape into a big enough fantasy world myself to sort of deny what's happening to me. I don't know, uh, possibly, but um, no, I, I just, you know, do what I can. I mean, my my dad had a similar thing. I mean, I mentioned it in time slides. Um, he was a, um, a builder, painter and decorator in the end, and um, during the sort of early 70s, I think it was, he, um, as he was getting a bigger family, thought, look, I need a more reliable income. So he went off and worked at Richard Clay bookbinders uh, and printers in Bungie in Suffolk, and they did all the Harry Potter ones recently. Okay. And um, so he, he was working there, and uh, he was at the bookbinding press, and I think it was his, I can't remember which hand, sorry, Dad, I think it's his uh, right one, uh, got caught in the bookbinding press, and uh, they had to take him to hospital, and he had a, a plastic bag of remnants of himself in, of his hand. You're joking and they rebuilt his hand with uh, a couple of knuckles at least on the inside so his hand sort of sits like this most Uh of the time and uh, he was an amazing um, snooker player uh, when he was in the army and he always loved playing snooker and so he again just thought I need to sort of get back some ability and uh, he retained and regained his ability to play snooker to a very high level um, so it's, it's that kind of thing. You have these examples, and you just think, I'd rather be like that, you know, rather than a miserable top.
0: Well, uh, exactly.
2: and, what's, and, what's,
0: and what's also interesting is I know I, I remember a few years ago, um, Michelle did a, a crowd funding uh, thing for you, for, for a, 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 as I recall, it was a motorised wheelchair to be able to get you out into, into nature, as you've already talked about. Yeah. Um, and as I recall, um, you know, the the, the donations went, exceeded, way exceeded expectations. That must have been quite, I don't know, how did you feel about that? You must have felt really quite elated on the one hand that people really just wanted to contribute to this.
2: I know, it's it's... It's like um, I mentioned with the uh, testimonials in Time Slides. You sort of don't kind of accept or take on just how other people might feel about you, uh, about things you've done in the past with with your art or whatever. And um, I really wasn't expecting the wheelchair fund to do that much. I thought we might be lucky and get a couple of thousand towards this chair. And it's a ridiculously expensive thing. I mean, it sat right next to me, but I can't really move the um the monitor around to show you guys without wrecking the, the layout yeah. of the yeah. shot and everything. And you know how fussy I am about layout. Um <laughs> yeah, this this chair was like just over eleven thousand pounds in the end. And um Michelle set the target at ten. And we thought that would be great if you know by any strange stretch of fantasy that we might get anywhere near that amount. And um, I think within about two months we uh, had the £10,000 that we'd um, asked for. Um, And it was just so humbling, it's incredible. Um, Yeah, it, it kind of reduces you to tears. Um, to to be affected in that well, way. Well,
0: so. if if nothing else, it gives you kind of a, a quantifiable idea of, of how much your 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 work is loved and and, and how much you, it's meant to people. And and again, I remember when we spoke to um to Chris Akielos, he was the same. He he was very humble about it, and he almost. He didn't realize how much his stuff is loved and i guess that to an extent is because you're sitting there in your little cupboard doing your artwork popping it out there you don't know how much this means to people and it clearly oh, means I'm,
2: I'm behind them there
0: guys you just had a shot i'm, oh. I'm
2: behind them yeah um, on the wall That's oh there the, you go oh, oh it's, you go. it's oh, your, your it's your attack, attack of the, the side there. man
0: there yeah. it is. Your attack of the
2: sidemen cover, brilliant. Yeah, I, I was having a bit of a, a bad time with mobility with my MS uh, when that target exhibition was um, uh-huh. went on uh, down in London, so I couldn't make it down there. I was invited along because, as you see, my yeah. my one cover was there, and um, yeah, I so regret not going, um, but you know, that's just what happens,
0: isn't it? You know, so. I it's a beautiful cover, if nothing else. The Attack of at the cover is a magnificent piece of artwork.
1: Absolutely fabulous, yeah. One of again, one of my favourites. And a time I think, a new yourself and Pete Warbank, new artists were coming through right at the tail end, weren't? weren't you of the book range? And it was yeah. sort of he- heralding the the dawn of a of a new decade, really. And I suppose all the various other things that were that, that were to come when the book range wrapped up. Art for the ears now, everybody, just for a couple of minutes. It's time to check in with our Kev. He's standing by with a, a portfolio full of podcasts covering all your favorite franchises or part of the Fandom Podcast Network. You're going to love this trip sideways in time and in space. Colin, Simon and I will be back in a couple of minutes before you know it.
3: Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, and TV pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the fandom podcast network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Network. Thank you for listening and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom.
1: Oh, yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the podcasts on everything from the T-shirts and phone covers and all that kind of stuff right the way up to those big tapestries that you can plaster your feature wall with seeing is believing treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the fandom podcast network into the bargain so everybody wins. We're still here with uh, much loved Doctor Who artist Colin Howard, and Simon Horton, of course, marking the publication of this enormous collection, this wealth of artwork from your time illustrating Doctor Who on mostly on VHS, the VHS covers you've said it focuses on all that material. Could there possibly be a Time Slides Volume Two awaiting somewhere in the future?
2: Well, I'm incredibly hopeful that it will, because there are quite a few things that I've done and published in the past on, on things yeah. lots of uh, Doctor Who covers uh, for the magazine um, quite a few of the uh, the Virgin books there's tons of private commissions and pieces that I've done stories that I really wanted to do and never got the chance uh, to, to do one of those because they'd already been released on VHS when I was doing them being a fan I, I was always thinking of things that um, I might love to see. I spent Christ knows how long doing this.
1: A black and white illustration that covers much of the stories that were written by the late great Robert Holmes, arguably the best of all the Doctor Who writers. The, uh, yeah, there's the Schrivenzal down
0: the bottom. There aren't many people who've done a piece of artwork of the Schrivenzal, so, so <laughs> hats off to you on that one, Colin. And the oh, can we, the, the, the rendition of, of of the master, the the decaying master, there is just absolutely that that alone is just look at that. I mean, the the detail of that, that yeah. is just utterly magnificent.
1: Some well, artists are intimidated by by jobs like that, but I i feel that you aren't or is it kind of like you said to simon earlier on you you steam in and then worry about it later
2: (laughs) that's essentially it yeah i mean you think that (laughs) that was pretty much all done with a rotary repeatograph pen which were like
0: i remember them Uh, and, and, and when was when was that colin when when are we dating for example that piece of r2 these black and whites when are these from
2: they're from like the very early 80s
0: at the kind of time that you're 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 putting stuff forward for for the key to time but
2: yeah yeah so I I was always thinking of things um the I did one for each doctor and then I started doing full-size companion ones as well and um yeah I was messing about with those I mean I chew you guys before we started the um
0: the turlo and the tractators that that one in particular is just the, the the likeness of Mark Strickson, there is—it is uncanny. I mean, that literally could be a photograph. Do you have a love for black and white art that's different to your for, for, to a love for doing colour? You know, are you—is it a case that yeah, you love doing both, but you'd always rather do colour? Um It was
2: a case of I used to just sit hunched over on my single bunk bed in my bedroom uh, with a sort of A4 pad on my lap or an A3 pad. And just be dotting away, doing stuff like this. It was how I spent most of my days. Uh, it's probably why my posture is so atrocious nowadays. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was um, also it was the expense at the time as well, because it was so much cheaper just to buy ink for your pen mm-hmm. and keep reloading that than it would have been endless tubes of paint and stuff. So I, I concentrated mostly on illustration and black and white work uh, to begin with. And that's, um, that's where I sort of set my hat there. And we working with Doctor Who magazine, doing their archive illustrations and things for John. Um, which then led on to a few book things and stuff later on. Was, uh, Games Workshop, doing their um, Warhammer yeah. stuff as well. Yeah. Well, that was you too, was it?
0: Yeah. again. Again, I had all that stuff. I had no idea that was you again. Do you have a
1: favourite piece, Colin? A very favourite piece? Or is that an impossible choice?
2: Oh, God. Um, I've got this real massive soft spot for my Sea Devils VHS. Yeah. Um, It's mostly, I think, because of my love of that story. Yeah. And it was a summertime repeat. Yes. um, Way, way, way back. And uh, we just sat and watched this full motion picture length version of the Sea Devils. And uh, I just so loved them. And I read and reread Malcolm Hawke's book and yeah. um, just had a real thing for the scenes and the Silurians. So, uh, and that one I've refused to sell a few times and it's under my sofa currently
0: in a big. What? Place. I hope it's safe under your sofa.
2: Oh, you? yeah. 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 Uh, encapsulated <laughs> in plastic and uh, in a. In a massive portfolio.
1: What would you describe as your biggest artistic challenge so far?
2: Oh, good God. Um, probably something like the five doctors because mm-hmm. of the fact that there was so much to try and encapsulate in the one image. And uh, so much too... Thanks, Terrence. <laughs> yeah. And to have all those creatures in there. I mean, i got to, d- to put a yeti on the cover. I mean, come on. Um, that, that was big for me and uh, and more Cybermen because there was kind of an agreement at the time with the VHS's uh, that um, only Andrew would do the Cyberman ones and um, it was just a case of you agreed to, to whatever they kind of said you were going to do. So I was able to sneak that Cyberman one under the radar. I don't think they realized they were in it. Who, did- Who knows?
0: Was was, it, was there any was there any of the covers, for example, that you just really struggled to get right? That was just you you're tearing your hair out. You couldn't get it right. You couldn't get a likeness right, for example. Was there one that you really really struggled over?
2: Um, I think the one that was the biggest struggle to actually come up with the composition for was the major problem was Paradise Towers. Mm-hmm simply because it was uh, very studio-bound and yeah. just so uh, mundane with, like, people's flats and things in this tower block. <laughs> and there's only, only these couple of establishing painting shots, I think, matte paintings or something, off the exterior of the towers. Yeah. And that's all you had to play with.
1: There were so few reference photos from... That but, story as well. That must have made it even harder.
0: But it's actually remarkably dramatic. The artwork for Paradise Towers is remarkably dramatic. It paints a completely different story to the one that made it to the television. Um, That's the
1: one with the, with the Doctor and Mel and the swimming yeah. pool, isn't it? The yellow yeah, pool the cleaning robot sort of coming out of the water. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it looks, is- which looks terrible on screen, but you managed to make it look actually. You sell decent. it so well. <laughs> oh, bless.
2: Uh, so Jamie Ledman said, damn you for making me watch Time Flight." Uh, <laughs> he recently got a copy of the book and I think he was like, oh, this one. But, uh, but yeah, that, that one was great. And thank you, Radio Times, because they did a feature um, back then. And being a Doctor Who fan, I collected anything that had Doctor Who printed in it that I could afford or knew about. And uh, there was this specially staged shot and it was that reference. Mm-hmm. Sylvester and, and Bonnie uh, wrestling the pool cleaner robot. And so I had the big looming cleaner coming in behind, which never happened, and uh, created some of the uh, the grotty, graffiti-laden, sort of dreary setting, um, and had to run with that. Because otherwise you're working for a science fiction show, so you're hoping there's going to be a big spacey battle and you know, loads of explosions and things, but that was rarely in Doctor Who. Yeah, And, absolutely. and when it was, it was uh, lovely Matt Irvin props hanging on the string and stuff.
1: <laughs> Well, you say that, but, you know, times times do change. And does Doctor Who still stimulate you and excite you? And, and if not, what does? Do you still pay close attention to what's going on on the series?
2: Yeah, I still love Doctor Who. Um, there are other shows as well that are great and uh, I really enjoy I mean, things like Good Omens are fantastic. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed Game of Thrones, even quite like the last episode. There you go, how about that? Well, you're the only
0: one in the world that did
2: <laughs> I follow all sci-fi stuff, and uh, I would love to go and do the film thing a lot more often, but I, uh, I'm fairly sort of housebound now. Uh, hence, you mentioned about the chair earlier. So I can't really walk very far anymore. Yeah, I just watch things in 4K at home.
1: You must meet a lot of aspiring artists or talk to other artists, so your peers, for
2: for example. Jeff Cummings as well. What a what a guy! He's he's lovely, lovely man. He's larger than
0: life, isn't he? He's, <laughs> yeah. he's a character.
2: Yeah, we we spend most of our sort of time in those barren hours at. Uh, the conventions when nobody's in the uh, the artists area because uh, you know there's a panel or whatever, and the last time there'd just been a pandemic, so I think everyone was just so desperate to be back in their loved area with their fellow fans and watching any any panel or anxiously not wanting to lose their seat. Uh, so they didn't want
1: to come out and see us boring old farts sat there. Boring old farts. I can confidently state there's a whole generation full of Doctor Who fans who cherish the memories of collecting the VHS range all mm-hmm. through the '90s, just as much as earlier earlier generations did the Target books, seeing your artwork more often than not. And yeah, the, this book Time Slides, the Doctor Who artwork of Colin Howard, with its newly revised cover, too. It's available now as a limited edition hardback and a paperback, and it features Colin's paintings as they were originally intended to be seen, so they're uncropped uncluttered by logos and captions and whatever else, and presented alongside his own commentary and design sketches as he would have sent them in to the BBC for for the various refinements between getting the the idea from his page onto our shelves all through the 1990s. So they can order that right now from Candy Jar Books, can't they, Colin?
2: Absolutely. It's it's an incredibly lavish-looking book, to be honest. I'm so happy with how it's come out. Um, My overriding concern would be the uh, the print quality for the plates of the artwork. Never mind the uh, the rampant garbage that spews from my mouth and ends up (laughs) on the pages. But uh, yeah, the the print job is absolutely beautiful. I'm incredibly happy with how it looks. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing after all these years. You know, to see these things again, to be out there and uh, for, to enable people to say the collection is pretty big for the VHSs and it's the first and only time possibly they'll all be in the same place at once.
0: You must be very proud of that book.
2: Yeah. I, it's something I sort of like dreamed might happen as a child. You yeah. Know? And, and then there's that kind of like weird reality of, oh, it has happened now. How strange. well it's a a
0: testament to your talent that it's happened so you know you take all credit for that as
1: always all the links about where to get your copy of time slides they'll be in the show notes to the podcast and the description to the video track too we'll make sure that you're directed right there to get your copy of time slides from candy books the doctor who artwork of colin howard that's the old girl starting up and calling time on yet another edition of type 40 a doctor who podcast i'll be back with another one soon look out for that wherever you found this it could have been at the dedicated home feed for type 40 at type 40.podbean.com you can go there and get audio editions of all of our live stream show too so that's type 40 live and type 40 a doctor who podcast all at type 40.podbean.com or on the podcatcher of your choice apple podcast for example over on spotify we're on amazon music now too stitcher iHeartRadio, TuneIn, radio tune in pod bay all those places we're on youtube of course we are the world's largest streaming platform and over on the fandom podcast network's own master feed that's loaded up with um, so many treats for your ears never mind on the weekly it's coming at you on the daily there so if you take a, st- a trip sideways in time you can get a whole load more of quality podcasts from the fandom podcast network and it could be you want to have your say about all of this, about Colin's fabulous career and his huge portfolio of Doctor Who work, you can do so. You can get in touch with us through the comment section here or through our social media. You can find that on Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho or you can email us, type 40 Who at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really brave, you can join us in the Type 40 Facebook group. Simply go over to Facebook and uh, yeah that's that's still the most widely used social media platform i'm pretty sure it is so go over to facebook and type in type 40 and we will appear in the in the searches for the social media group. So there's Type 40, a Doctor Who fan group, and there's our Type 40 Doctor Who Blu-ray and DVD collectors group too that goes deep dive on all the physical media. We do have VHS items in there too, Colin. So there's lots of your work turns up in the feed there, the general physical media. There's no holds barred there in our Facebook groups, any art that we do share through our social medias. We always credit it and we're happy to work. Do you have to give a showcase? case to any upcoming artists, traditional or digital. We love it. all. Colin, do you Instagram? Do you Twitter? Do you do any, do any of that stuff?
2: Twitter is at Colin Howard Art. Uh, Colin Howard artwork, I think on Facebook and on Instagram as well.
1: You do have your own website as well, don't you Colin, which is uh, online portfolio of not just your doctor who work, but all the other things you've done too, isn't
2: it? Yeah, Colin if it's still up and running i think the server it been is a bit, been a bit tricky of late and um, it's still yeah, there hopefully at some point i will get to
0: actually update it
1: <laughs> and simon where can people find you on social media what are you up to oh there? they can
0: they can find me on uh facebook that's where they can find me under the hoonetics come and say hello there
1: and you can catch me on instagram and twitter as the spacebook where i am wheezing and groaning ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the tardis whatever catches my eye my imagination or both i'm there tweeting and gramming and whatever else about it when i have the spare moment you can sort of take over your life kind of social media but yeah that's it for this time get in touch with with whatever whatever you want to know whatever comments you've got about this show what's going on on type 40 and type 40 live and we'll we'll put you in touch with colin maybe if you've got any further questions about yeah could could a second volume of time slides be on the way but more importantly i'm sure colin would love to know about yeah when you unwrap your copy and and feast on all those beautiful sites on the pages and all the memories that that stirs up from the past but that's it for this time thanks for listening we always have the time if you have the space here at type 40. thank you for being our guest this time colin it's been a a delight we'd love to have you back at some point in the future
3: yeah
2: of course that would be amazing
1: yes thank you everybody we'll catch you again soon you take care bye bye